welcome to the e-commerce fuel podcast the show dedicated to helping high six and seven figure entrepreneurs build amazing online companies and incredible lives i'm your host and fellow e-commerce entrepreneur andrew udary Hey guys, it's Andrew here and welcome to the e-commerce fuel podcast. Thanks so much for tuning in today. Joined by Mr. Drew Sanaki, the man from New York City, consultant and business owner extraordinaire. Drew, how you doing, buddy? Good. How are you doing? Good. Good. I was looking at nerd marketing and things are looking sharp over there, man. You got a a pretty beautiful branded site with some awesome content. It's getting there. I read some book on design for founders. I think it's called Design for Founders. Taught me a lot about typography. I got into. You could sink a lot of time into that, but I love it. No, it's really interesting and recommend it for anybody who's looking to brand a site or a blog. Yeah, it looks super sharp. I was jotting a bunch of notes down of stuff. I'm totally going to swipe for the e-commerce fuel site. Yeah, it looks, oh, fun. It looks sharp, man. Good. But yeah, today talking about some kind of crazy, crazy news. Sold the business. I know. Congratulations. Yeah, thank you. Sold Right Channel Radios, which is the business I've had for Man, oh, that's where it all started back in 2008. So owned it for eight years and just this, you know, last couple of weeks ended up closing on the sale. So is this the first official announcement? Publicly it is. Yeah, I've been chatting with people in the, in the community about it, the, the private community. Got but it. in terms of a public announcement, yeah, this is where it's getting broken. So That's great. Well, congratulations. This is your second exit, yeah, isn't it? Thank you. Yeah, this is uh, the second one. So it's soldtrollingmotors.net a couple of years ago. And this is, um, this is number two. That's great. Got all sorts of questions for you. Yeah, hit me, man. It's kind of strange doing a, a podcast about selling your own business, but you were kind enough to come on and <laughs> help me do it so it wasn't just me talking to people. Well, I'm, I'm happy to be here. I, I sold my first business, seems like ancient history now, but back in 2011, 2012. Yeah, Design we, Public, right? Yep. And then we sold a business where I was the CMO, Karma Loop. We sold that about a month ago. You were partnered up with a private equity group for that, right? Yes. I mean, they did the deal. I did the, the diligence on the deal, came on board, helped return the company to profitability, and we sold. They made most of the money off the deal, unfortunately. But yeah. Probably safe to say they probably brought most of the money to the deal, though, too, right? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's a near pond. <laughs> yeah. It's, so it'll be, I thought it'd be kind of fun just kind of talk quickly about why I sold, who I sold it to, and then get into some lessons, both kind of some, some lessons I learned from the sale and also get your kind of thoughts on. Sounds good. So probably the biggest takeaway for me, and this is something I, I realized after the fact, kind of at the sale, but it was something I had kind of been trying to prep for was long-term planning with a business pays off just enormously. And I, I have been prepping to sell this business for close to two years. It started back like in 2000 in I think 2013 or 14, 2014, we had a terrible year, awful, down 30%. I've talked about that before. And I had to make the decision, do you just sell it at a decreased, you know, at a a low valuation, low multiple, because it's in free fall and walk away and do something else? Or do you, you know, kind of the the opposite call of, I'm going to really double down, do a big redesign, try to get it back up to speed and make it more valuable in terms of exiting. So thought through that within probably the the 12 months prior to the sale was really, really intentional about focusing on profitability, tracking the ways our suppliers build us to make sure that there weren't any mistakes getting over missed. With spending, I was crazy, not insane, but fairly anal about like, hey, any non-discretional expense, let's wait on that because you're effectively, you're paying 3x for anything you spend in that year. Because if you lose $1,000 in profitability, 
on a 3x multiple, that's a $3,000 hit on the purchase price. So, I mean, for me, long-term planning played off enormously, like to the tune of like hundreds of thousands of dollars thinking through that for the 18 months prior. And I'm guessing, is that something you guys did as well, Drew? Yeah. And I think for the same reason, ours was in 08 where revenue was down 50%. Maybe you need that experience (laughs) or to go through that experience to think about selling because before that life was great. Yeah. And we always said, like, why would we sell this for, you know, a crappy e-commerce multiple when we could just run it for cash flow? Yeah. Well, boom, like revenue's down 50%. That's probably why you'd want to consider selling. At some point, business might be riskier than you think. And after that, in a way, we, you know, we used that downturn to sort of reinvent the business. We moved to being a virtual company. We replatformed. We did a bunch of site changes we would, we'd want to do anyway. Then we showed three or, three or four years of growth, whatever that is, until we sold. And the whole time, we we were very intentional about that. Okay, now we we know what we want to do with the business. Uh, we focused on standard operating procedures and making sure they were all written down in metrics. And um, yeah, so that planning really paid off. You know, it's funny too. It's there's definitely a good. There's a lot of cases where investing in marketing or, or new business you know, development is, is very worthwhile where maybe in the next year it's not going to pay off, but long-term it will. But I think the philosophy behind running your business leanly to prepare for a sale, a lot of that is something that's great to carry over, even if you're not planning on, on selling, right? Because yeah, because you should always be worried about your suppliers shortchanging you. You should always be really scrutinizing your expenses to be like, ah, is this really that valuable? Yeah. So for me, it's, if you can get that, get in that mindset, all the time, it's probably going to make your business that much more profitable, even if you don't sell. So, yeah, it helps to go through a sale first because then you've got that mindset. You know, whatever it's like the Michael Gerber E Myth mindset or the built to sell mindset, to name another book, but just that process approach to, to the business really helps. And I think the biggest payoff for me was that I didn't have to do a, an earnout or what. I, I just, we sold the business and we were done. And, and the reason we didn't have to, we weren't locked up in any sort of earnout was because the business was so turnkey. We literally could pass it off to the buyer and he had a lot of confidence that he could run it. And so that helped you negotiate a completely 100% upfront yes. guy. Yeah. Yep. yep. Yeah. For me too, like this deal was 100% cash. And I, I mean, people talk about doing earnouts, owner financing, things like that. But as we'll get to maybe in a, in a little bit further on, for me, like you sell for a 3X multiple, if I'm going to sell for a 3x multiple, one of the biggest reasons I'm selling for such a low multiple is re- to reduce my downside risk, right? And so why why sell for a 3x multiple, but then effectively be the bank and effectively be on the hooks? You still assume the risk, right? If the business doesn't do well, then you're not going to get paid back. And so why not just hold on to it anyway and have the potential, hopefully if things go well, to have that cash flow asset in the future. That It's always surprised me when people are sell for such a low multiple on a good business, but they're willing to take an enormous amount of risk and either, you know, a lot of times seller financing. Right, right. Agreed. Another big lesson I learned is just because you make the right decision does not mean it's easy to make. It can be a really emotional process going through this. Like when I sold trolling motors, that was not emotional at all. I, (laughs) for a lot of reasons that maybe I won't get into, I just, I knew that it was something I wanted to sell. I wanted to focus on my other core businesses and that was fairly easy. For me, this was the first time that the sale was really emotional. There were days where I just lay awake at night thinking, am I crazy? Why am I selling this business? You know, running like numbers in my head, thinking about all the time we'd put into it. And even though I I think long-term in a macro sense, and especially for some of my personal goals, it was the right decision. 
oh, there was some angst that came up. There was one point the deal almost fell through and I was pretty excited because I thought I was going to get to keep it. But did you have any of that? Like, was it emotional for you on Design Public? Yeah, it's, it was, I loved that business. I loved running that business. And in the back of my mind, it was more, it was, I was really burnt out on it. So I was ready to go, but there's always that, you know, am I going to be able to repeat that success on the next thing? Or, you know, for us also, we, we just had, some really big competitors who raised a lot of money, like hundreds of millions of dollars, Wayfair being one of them, that came into our space. And, you know, did I want to double down and compete with something like that? I don't know. But I, I guess that that made it an easier decision for me that I, I wasn't losing as much sleep over it as it sounds like you were. Yeah. It, you know, like you ever meet someone who's got a, you know, and maybe, maybe you know, I won't have you name any names, Drew, but maybe you've been in a relationship like this where, you know you need to leave. You know it's not a good fit. You know long term, yeah, right? Like about, you want to do something just, else, but you're like, oh, I can't leave. Yeah. It's so much fun right now. It's, I think it's the nature of decision making yeah. that you just, you know, you whether it's dating somebody or making just a big decision, but you know, you always have that a little bit of buyer's remorse or regret or something right after you've made the decision. The third thing that, that kind of stuck out to me was the importance of, of trusting your gut when dealing with people. The ultimate buyer and I had a, had a fantastic rapport and it ended up being a great fit for a lot of reasons. But one of the things I did first before we connected was I went to my two suppliers. I have a couple of suppliers that primary suppliers for the business or had, I guess I need to talk in the past sense, that would have been great fits for the business. That The first one surprised me it would have been a home run. They would have gotten like half a million dollars in additional wholesale revenue on top of the profitability of the business. And, and it just, they competed with us on the, on the retail side. It like a slam dunk home run deal for these guys. They didn't even look at the custom prospectus that I spent like two days building for them, which blew me away. And then the other supplier, right. they're great, but they, if I had to you know, categorize, I'd say they tend to be a little bit more, especially versus the first one. On the more unorganized side, there was times where I tried to set up calls that they didn't go through right or they wouldn't call me back at the right time. And even though they ultimately ended up being interested and they, they probably could have paid a little bit of a premium over who I ended up selling to, I decided not to go with them because I thought, you know, there's a good chance that A, even if we do close this deal, it's going to be a nightmare to get done. And B, there's a good chance that four months down the road, it ends up falling apart. It just had that gut feeling about that. And so I think at the end of the day, thinking through trusting your gut on the the buyer side, I'd rather, you know, give up a quarter of a, you know, a quarter of a multiple for a great buyer as opposed to try to maximize your gains with someone that is a little sketchier. I agree with that. We, you know, it's in both of the exits I've been involved with, it was the buyer with whom we had a better rapport throughout the whole process that ended up being the buyer. Did you have that uh, with either of the exits where you had someone who was willing to pay more, but you just weren't, didn't sit right for whatever reason? Yeah, I think it, in the second case we did in Carmeloop, but you know, with Design Public, it was just clear that the people who ultimately bought the business were, I don't know, we just good guys. We hit it off. They knew what they were doing. They knew what they were getting into. And, and all that just meant it was more of a a no-brainer to work with them. Fourth lesson that stood out to me was that selling a business like this is not all about the immediate ROI on a cash flow basis. Like I'm a very financially driven person. Well, driven to some extent. I look at the lens, I kind of view the world and business deals a lot through the lens of, you know, finances, returns. And, you know, if you were to ask me four years ago before I sold my first business, like, hey, I, would you ever sell a business that was generating, giving up a 33% return on your investment? Because if you sell for a 3x multiple, that's about what you get. I'd say, are you crazy? No, like treasuries are like yielding like a 2%, one and a half percent. You know, there's 
there's no you gotta go to Mongolia, right? Right, Drew? It's pretty yield <laughs> if you want to yeah. try to find stuff. It's a subject for another podcast. <laughs> a subject for another yeah. podcast. Yeah, we'll uh, we'll just leave that that there. But yeah, so financially <laughs> terrible decision from an immediate ROI standpoint. But I think what I realized throughout the process, coming to terms with okay, I want to sell and actually selling was it's about more than that. It's about potentially having a little extra headspace because anytime you have a business, it's in your mind, even if you have it fairly well automated. For me, a lot of it was about moving on. I've been doing this business for eight years. I've learned so much in the last eight years that really probably there's some different things that I would I would do from, from scratch uh, or buying a business, looking in one, and it'd be kind of nice to be able to apply some of that knowledge from a, a, a clean slate. And like we kind of alluded to earlier, there's that risk involved too. Like, um, you've got the risk of a business declining over time, uh, or having a catastrophic thing where, you know, Google delists you or maybe one of your suppliers pulls out. So it's, it's more than just about the cash flow for the, you know, a couple months. You got to look at a much bigger picture. And I think sometimes that's, sometimes that's hard to do when you're seeing short term, really good cash flow from a business. It doesn't always make financial sense, but. I couldn't agree more with both those things. I mean, number one, I, I bounce back and forth between operating like I did at Carmeloop and, and now I'm consulting again. And even with consulting, like if I take on too many clients, I, it's just takes up so much headspace that I, I really have trouble carving out any extra time to buy another business or look for businesses and do things that I know will lead to long-term wealth. I totally get it. You want to sell the business to sort of clear out that headspace so you can focus and be creative on something new. And the other reason you mentioned was, what was the other reason you mentioned? Oh, <laughs> two, <laughs> two good reasons. Mo- moving on, headspace, moving on and risk. Moving on. and Oh, the risk. Yeah. The risk thing is something that like, I think I underestimated. I probably blocked it out, but there were so many nights I just you go to sleep and you're afraid to, you wake up the next morning, you're afraid to open your inbox because you're just thinking, like, did the site go down? Did Magento crash? Like, what customer issue is going to come up to my level? And it's not, you have no idea, but it's just in the back of your mind. And to be done with that, to wake up and just not worry about the site being down, like someone popping up on Slack and getting in your grill about this is just <laughs> awesome. You know, I had to have like cash in the bank. And then you're not on the hook for any of those things, which you're ultimately on the hook for, no matter how much you have automated your business. Yeah. Man, can you put a price on not having to worry about Magento crashing in the middle of the night? I'm not sure if you can. It was huge. Like that That was my life for so many months when we first went over to Magento. And just to be done with that was great. Oh, man. I love it. Last big lesson I learned is thinking through and planning on the tax front is is really really important. And I mean, we could probably Drew do an entire episode on thinking, you know, thinking through this and the difference between a stock sale and an asset sale and all these different things. But we'll kind of maybe just do an abbreviated version. A couple of big things that stood out to me, especially with this deal was, was thinking through at a high level, are you going to be taxed on capital gains level or on an ordinary income level? And for one great thing about internet businesses, especially, and I'll say this for dropshipping businesses where, I mean, we have the sale was structured. There was zero physical assets transferred with the sale, zero inventory, no buildings. Everything sold was a, you know, was digital, a website, supplier relationships, an email list. And one of the wonderful things about that is that instead of being even in an asset sale, getting a little bit inside baseball here, but even in an asset sale, which the deal was structured as because they were intangible assets that I sold, 
everything was taxed at capital gains rates versus ordinary income rates, which are much higher, and was, uh, it, I mean, saved tons and tons of money. So just something to think about and kind of a nice little advantage of running and selling internet businesses. Yeah, agreed. One of the downsides, and this is something I didn't, didn't think about effectively until near the end was, like I mentioned, looking to buy a new business. And you think through, let's say, you know, whatever you sell the business for, let's say for the just sake of argument, you sell a business for you know, $500,000. If you sell that business, you can't go back out and purchase another business for $500,000. You lose, you know, let's say just 25%. You're going to lose that amount because you got to pay taxes. And so it immediately just the transaction cost with taxes reduces the amount you're able to buy a business for and reduces the amount you're able to go out and acquire a new income stream for. And there's some things like you can depreciate the price of a business and the goodwill over time, but it, you know, it's a lot of times that's like on a 15 year plus schedule. I didn't think about that until further on down the line. I don't think it would have changed my decision to sell, but I remember having this moment where I thought, oh, that stinks. You know, you. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> <laughs> there's not yeah it's not like it's not like buying a house where isn't there some rule like you sell a house you can buy another one in six months and a 1031 exchange yeah there there aren't any for buying and selling businesses yeah so it, it's brutal so think through that if you're on the fence you know you're not sure make sure you're thinking about that because you effectively lose when you sell yeah like you know 25 30 percent like whatever depends on how it's set up but yeah a, a good portion of your ability to reacquire a new asset which is brutal so right was that something that you really thought through when, when you sold or was that something that I guess you weren't maybe with design public weren't necessarily going out to, to look for a new business right out of the gates were you? No, no. I was just happy to, happy to sell. You know? <laughs> but these days I think that is definitely what the private equity guys think about a lot, you know, tax implications of selling businesses and things like whenever they have an exit. I've also learned from them largely like you want to go bigger, like if you can, you know, when you buy a business, like the bigger deals just make sense. Everything makes more sense when you go bigger. So, you know, the transaction costs tend to be fixed, the, the legal costs to paper the deal and things like that. Just the bigger you go, the more, you know, the better it ultimately would be for you. The same amount of work goes into growing a bigger company as it goes into growing a smaller company. So I would think about that now. I would think about like, Okay, if I've got a certain number of capital, how do I buy the biggest business possible? You know, maybe it's structuring the deal the right way, or maybe it's partnering with, with a fund to back me and, and get the size up a little bit. Interesting. Yeah, I, I mean, given I'm looking for new businesses, so you would try to go as big as you potentially could just because just the economy is a scale? Yes, yes. Interesting. I mean, that's, I would say, out of every PE guy, private equity guy I've ever spoken with, you know, let's say... 50. It's like the advice that 50 out of 50 have given me. <laughs> Go as big as you can, huh? Go as big as you can. No kidding. Yeah. Interesting. Any yep. other, you know, going forward, obviously looking for a new business to buy, any other tips or advice given that you've, I mean, you know the space, you've been looking at way more businesses than I do. You know that process much better. I think that, well, deal flow is the hardest thing and you're probably in a great position because you are exposed to so many e-commerce businesses through the forums. But, you know, I, I think deal flow is probably the, the hardest thing for anybody looking to buy a business. I'm in a situation where I get some cast, cast offs from these, these bigger funds where they're, they pass on businesses that are a little too small for them. So five to $10 million deal size. And those are the ones that I've been looking at. Anything bigger, you got to line up a lot more funding for. And anything smaller, I've just had beaten into my thick skull that it's not worth my time. You know, you want to live off this business. 
if you if you want to live off this business, you also got to make sure it's big enough to throw off enough cash where you can do that. So that means like you buy something on Flippa, you know, you make 10K a year off it and you can get it to 20K a year. Can you really live off that? Probably not, you know, maybe in Montana, but. Maybe maybe in Montana where we all, yeah, we all ride horses and live in that thatch yeah. huts still. <laughs> yeah. The best people I know who do this do like they, they make their own deals happen. They sort of are very proactive with what they're looking for. They often go out and convince somebody to sell. They have proprietary deal flow. So, you know, they might find this person who's ready to retire and has just a great business that, you know, offline, they've never gone online, or maybe they've only sold through one channel or something like that. And they convince that person to sell. So I think that's probably the way to go. Interesting. That's good advice. I I mean, there was someone I know that kind of just an acquaintance, but they've got an incredible business. And I was you know, chatting around asking someone if they ever considered about selling. But yeah, I I think I'll, I'll be looking at that. And I think there's a good chance too, I'll be hopefully maybe contacting people in the community on the on the mailing list, listening to the podcast to see if there is anyone that's, that's interested in selling for, with things that meet my criteria. So feel free to reach out to me, ecommercefuel.com forward slash contact. As particularly, I'm looking for businesses with great proprietary products, really interesting stories. I love stuff made in the USA. I love high quality things looking for products that ideally, you know, have a history of repeat purchases or people looking to repeat. So feel free to reach out to me if, if you've got a business that meets that criteria or even a product that meets that criteria. It'll be something that'll be in my radar definitely for the next six months or so. So, well, at this point, Drew, I'm, I'm kind of looking forward to at least for a couple months, having a little bit less of a hectic work schedule this summer. Yeah. Take the summer off. What are you doing next week? Next week. What's going on next week? Probably going to do some mountain biking in Missoula, pick up a bike down there. Nice. Uh, my one little present to myself for selling the business. See a friend. Yeah, I mean, still, I still want to keep working through the summer. But take, you know, just take a little bit more of an easy, easy summer, especially given that we only have two months of good weather here in Bozeman. Right. <laughs> Got some really cool stuff in store for e-commerce fuel. I was telling you about the software directory that we're working on, a lot of improvements to the, uh, the community Continue to work on the kind of the small Amazon business I've got going on. And of course, look for that next business to buy. So that's, that's what's on uh, my plate going forward. When you've sold, what do you out and just, you know, paint the town red? Did you, you know, do anything crazy? What did you do when you sold the business? Well, I dreamed about it for so long and I just want, I had a great dinner with my now wife and, you know, my brother to, to celebrate. My brother worked with me at the business and yeah, I mean, spent more than I usually would on a dinner. So that was fun, <laughs> but it wasn't like, I mean, for eight years of working, I got one dinner out of it. You know, that was just, it was just nice. I did sort of check out for longer than, in retrospect, I, I should have tried to jump to something else sooner. I think I took about a year where I didn't do much and I I went off on a bunch of different tangents. I, look, I thought of business ideas and I really got into you know, survivalism. Survivalism. And I got paranoid that the world would come after me and and I wanted to hide my money and do all that. Like, it was just dumb to spend a year doing that without starting anything. I would, I would recommend that you do something. So to, you know, like give yourself... Somewhere in Mongolia is a buried <laughs> treasure chest with three quarters of Jerusalem's well. Well, my, my <laughs> wife would come home for work and I'd be just still... I'd be, she'd go to work, I'd be on the sofa. She would come home, I'd be on the sofa, like, you know, unshaven. Just be like, I'm thinking about business ideas. Just leave me alone, you know? 
So don't do that. Do start something. Uh, I got some some other good advice too f- from somebody who who kind of said who's been through sales and and had this happen. And you know they said one of the most dangerous places to be after a business sale is kind of sitting with a pile of cash in your bank account that you feel like you yes. have to do something with. And his advice was be really patient. Like there's lots of opportunities in the world. There's lots of things that you can pursue. But once you pull the trigger on one, especially if you take you know Mr. Sanaki your advice and and really you know, kind of, kind of go in all in, if not close, you're committed at that point. So yeah, it's at, which I thought was, you know, that be patient. You don't have to rush. It was good advice on the flip side, you know, probably the opposite of my advice. Yeah. <laughs> but I, I think for me, it was because I want, I thought I would start something else and I just kept trying to figure out what the next Facebook was going to be. And it's just no idea was good enough. And that was the downside of having some cash in the bank. It's like, you know, the pressure was off. I could I could think all day about great business ideas because I knew I could pay the bills, you know? To some extent, if I had that pressure, like I needed to start something to pay the bills, then it would have pushed me towards a very different kind of business than the ones I was just daydreaming about. Yeah, it's funny because I kind of get that sense too. You know, you've got a little bit more, more money in your bank account and that does give you a cushion. It's nice to go out and have that dinner. But for me as well, I kind of feel like you know, this next month when I look at the income statement, which is just, you know, it doesn't list your bank balances, it just shows how much you made that month. It is going to be significantly leaner. That is going to be something that for me, I feel like that'll give me a little bit of kick in the butt to say, yeah, you can, you know, have a month or two and have fun. But you see too many months of that lean income statement and ooh, that gets, uh, you know, (laughs) that's good motivation for you. Yep. (laughs) As Andy, my wife puts it, she's like, well, you killed our golden goose. What are you going to do now? <laughs> it lays the golden eggs. Thanks. If you're a community member, there's a, a forum I started in the community that talks about the, the business transaction in much more kind of transparency and more detail. Just given some of the nature of the things, I had to, had to not get quite as detailed as my last sale. But come on over to the discussion in the forum if you're a member and if you're interested in kind of seeing the nitty gritty, we'll link up to that in the show notes. Drew, thanks for thanks for being willing to hop on and talk business sales and bat this around with me and looking forward to hopefully both of us finding the perfect business to buy in the future. Yeah, it was fun. Anytime. Congratulations again. Thank you. I appreciate it. Enjoy it. Want to connect with and learn from other proven e-commerce entrepreneurs? Join us in the e-commerce fuel private community. It's our tight-knit vetted group for store owners with at least a quarter million dollars in annual sales. You can learn more and apply for membership at ecommercefuel.com. Thanks so much to our podcast producer, Laura Serena, for all of her hard work in making this show possible. And to you for tuning in. Thank you for listening. That'll do it for this week, but looking forward to seeing you again next Friday. 